0: This is our number.
1: It's time for the fastest fifteen minutes of the news. This is Dory's fastest fifteen.
2: You give us fifteen minutes, we'll give you the world. That was a bad one, Andrew. I'm sorry. Yeah, it wasn't I my feel best. like I let everyone down. No, that, I was talking about me. You think you did something? What'd you do to it?
1: I I I don't know. I wasn't happy with how it started, and it didn't have a very strong. T- for the two. Oh
2: well i'm sorry gosh
3: <laughs> okay hey wait that was the second version and the first version had no t- t- at all
2: <laughs> you know i i uh, was trying to get festive it wasn't my best hour number two echo <laughs> i will try to do better tomorrow um nicole we getting some wedding advice in i asked you guys to send me uh tips we for are. planning a wedding to the text line 888 cairo i'm sure dory will be thrilled that i'm starting off the fastest 15 talking about weddings 206, Brandy, don't sweat the small stuff. Keep it simple. Speaking of small, keep the wedding small and intimate. If not, afterward, you will have wedding regrets when you add everything up and realize you didn't even get to have a conversation with over three-fourths of your guests. The money saved would go much further for a better future if invested. Good advice. We're making a a guest list right now. Well, Nicole, I'm sorry. I guess you're off the guest list. 206, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, Brandy, look into a cruise and get married on board. On or off an excursion. My wife and I got married on St. Martin Island right on the beach. It was great, Ben. I've never been on a cruise. And I'm kind of scared that I'd be seasick. So I don't know if my wedding would be the first cruise that I would ever take. Because if I hated it, it would be awful. Uh, 206, wedding advice. Delegate to others what you need done. Otherwise, you'll get overwhelmed quickly. I think that's really good advice. And I'm just going to be the perfect bride to be throughout the whole process. Aaron, you believe me, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be a gem. Totally. I'm going to be understanding and patient. I'm not going to be too demanding. I'm not going to be a bridezilla. Good for you. For sure. Nicole's looking at me skeptical. I'll hold you to that. I'm pretty easygoing. Yes. Don't you think? Yes.
3: Until it comes to vacations.
2: (laughs) Nicole and I have a vacation coming up to New Zealand. So like a year ago... I was at an auction for a good cause, the Stronger Families Foundation, to help military uh, families and first responder families stay together. And I had a little wine, okay? As I do, John Curley was an auctioneer. And, Nicole, I was technically just your date to right. this auction. And I had some wine, okay? And I may have bid on a hunting trip to New Zealand for my fiance, Okay. There are worse things a woman could do. Of course, the next week I quit my job and I really regretted how much I spent on that (laughs) hunting trip. But fast forward and now we're going. Nicole's coming. My fiance is bringing one of his friends. They're going to do the hunting thing. We're going to go to the spa, enjoy New Zealand. But Nicole has been just down my throat trying to plan for this trip and I'm like
3: I'm it's not this ready. Is every trip with you though, you do not want to talk about any future trips. So part of the fun <laughs> of a vacation to me is planning see, and I'm not a like, talking about it, being excited about it, getting people's advice on what to do, what to see. And I am not allowed to talk to you about any of our trips. When we just went to Vegas, I booked it. I didn't say a word about it until the day before. I said, are you coming to my house first? (laughs) I'm
2: sorry. I'm just not much of a planner and you're a a big planner. Uh And so I just sort of, I like to wing it. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. So Nicole, I feel bad because she really wants to talk about New Zealand. And I'm sort of like thinking of (laughs) all the things I have between now and New Zealand. I know to. I
3: know it's stressful but
2: anyway well Dory's gonna be thrilled that to start his uh, second hour I talked about weddings
3: I know really quick the the last comment that we oh. just got I like this one did you see that 360 six, so. don't
2: ask Mike to make any wedding decisions when he says he doesn't care about colors, centerpieces etc he really <laughs> doesn't care that's probably, probably true
3: mm-hmm, it's probably true but it's probably good advice just not to not to push it when they say they
2: don't care okay fine I'm planning it don't complain yeah, that's that. That is good advice. I do think Mike will care about some things. Some, yeah. But he, if he says he doesn't, because he means like that. you, he's a planner. He's like a big planner. So I yes. probably want to be kept in the loop a little bit on things. But uh, you know, I've asked him: Is there anything you do or do not want in a dress? Because I want to. You know, I want him to like the dress, and I can be <laughs> a, I can be a little avant garde with my fashion choices sometimes. Mm. And so I don't want, you know, I'm a little old lady. Let's say that I I, I dress a little mature. So I want him to still think I look beautiful. But I also want to look very um, uh, stylish, very elegant and timeless. So I asked him, like, you know, is there anything you do or do not want in a wedding dress? He he's going to kill me for saying this (laughs) because his dad probably listens. He wants there to be cleavage. fair. Which is such a dude thing. And I don't want there to be any cleavage. (laughs) So, you know, I'll have to do some sort of illusion. Compromise. Compromise. But, yeah, I guess I should have known that (laughs) a man would want there to be... You'll get cleavage eventually, dude. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Sorry, babe. Okay, we're going to move on in the Fastest 15. Um, Did you see this really, really horrifying story about... I think it was a Bellingham woman. Is that correct? Sorry, I have this pulled up right here. Who goes on vacation and ends up getting eaten by a shark. Yeah.
3: It's pretty terrifying because I think I've been to those beaches that she was probably at. Um I don't I am sure that they were specific and I don't remember all the beaches, but I've been to Maui. I've been snorkeling just as she was doing. And it's one of those things that makes you think twice because we go to I mean ever Lots of people go to Hawaii no. and you snorkel and you're like, it's okay. There won't be a shark thing. Or they, you know, say there's sharks. And as long as you take these precautions, you're going to be fine. And and it sounds like they think this shark was just extra irritated awesome. and uh, just went for it, which it, it, it's, ter- it's so sad to me, especially because I think this um, her husband, who was, I mean, searching frantically for her and um, people started making ridiculous comments online about him, you know probably hiding her or something you like know, that, but see. which is just obnoxious yeah, in this moment. But
2: So 60-year-old so woman from Bellingham, um, they believe that she was killed and eaten by what they're saying was probably an aggressive shark. They were only, her and her husband, while they were snorkeling, were only 50 yards from the shore in Maui. So it's not like they were crazy distance out. Um, the husband told investigators that they were right next to each other snorkeling. And... Um, For a while, but they separated. And they separated. He could only see her from time to time. And then he said a shark started circling him, and then he couldn't find his wife, and he kept looking for her, thinking maybe she dove down deeper. Um, And then he says that the shark that had been circling him sort of uh, swam off. He couldn't find his wife, popped his head to the surface, is looking around, seeing if she's at the surface, didn't find her there. And then the shark came back, and he says he could see something red around the shark's gills, like blood. And then that's when people on the beach started yelling at him to get out of the water, saying there was a shark feeding in the area. And the husband's statement was corroborated by eyewitnesses uh, on the beach, according to the Hawaii Department of uh, Land and Natural Resources. I mean, that is... Yeah, this is... Oh, I can't even read this part. Yeah, Yeah, it's part
3: of... It's one of those things. It's a fragility of life, right? Fragility of life, because... um, yeah, I, I don't think that I was thinking about it. And and will this affect me when I go snorkeling in Hawaii? Would I still go snorkeling in Hawaii? And I would because, I mean, this is one person in, out of millions probably that goes snorkeling in Hawaii every year. But also I just I choose not to live my life like that, where you're in fear all the time and you don't do things that really give you life because you're afraid of what could take it. And, you know, I'm I'm not jumping out of a plane every day, but I jumped out of a plane because I just think those are those things that you fill your life and you have to continue. But it is a it's a really scary thing. And will I maybe check the waters like more thoroughly? I guess if I know how to check a water, (laughs) you're trusting other people, I guess, or you're
2: Deep, I don't know. Deep water does freak me out. And I went um, scuba diving in Jamaica several years ago. when Mike and I went around this time of year. And, you know, they teach you. I've never been like legit scuba diving with the whole gear on and stuff. And they teach you in the pool at the resort. And then you go out. I think we went down to like maybe 50 or 60 feet or something. Mm-hmm. And I got to be honest, like it's a little terrifying not knowing what little creatures are going to swim up on you. Uh, And so I told Mike, I was like, I I did it once. I don't necessarily want to do it again.
3: I think it's the distance from shore that kind of sometimes freaks me out. And I'll end up getting a little closer to something I can hop up on or something like that. Because I do, I enjoy snorkeling. That is my... Peace, right? That is when you can't hear anything but the water. I love it so much. And I think that when you're, you know, you're looking around, you can see a shark coming if there's something to get to, right? That's my mentality going into it. But this she was quite a bit from shore. And that was probably not an option for her, obviously. And I don't know, it's just one of those things you hear about. It is freaky. I don't I'm curious if it actually changes people's behavior. Because It's just, I don't know, I guess when it's your time, it's your time, and we all just hope it's not like that. Yeah, that's
2: horrifying, so I'd feel terrible for this family, and obviously they have not recovered her remains, which is really sad. But yeah, I mean, snorkeling is kind of a different thing. Scuba diving, what freaks me out more than the prospect of sharks is the air prospect. When you're scuba diving and you're relying on, you know, yes. your air tank and stuff, snorkeling's different because you're just right there. Right. I think that's what really freaks me out about scuba diving. Uh, up next on the Fastest 15, Elon Musk says he is now actively searching for a new CEO of Twitter and he will step down when he finds someone who's crazy enough to take the job. He hasn't got your application yet? I don't know. I, 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 I assumed that once he got mine, I, it would be a done I deal. I thought you
3: overnighted it.
2: Yeah. It's really strange. Um... So, you know, I don't know who – I think he'd have to find someone, one, who's crazy enough to take the job and take the criticism, but two, who will run Twitter in the way he wants it to be run. I think it would have to be someone who Elon Musk really, really trusts with um, Twitter and his whole – his vision for free speech and not running it like the way the old guard ran it. Uh, But Snoop Dogg has offered – (laughs) <laughs> snoop dogg put well, a, he put a poll up. he put his own twitter poll mm-hmm. and people want snoop dogg to be the ceo of twitter which i think is a terrible idea <laughs> maybe for a week maybe for a week
4: maybe <laughs> Elon see Musk, what he does
2: maybe he can turn it into a reality show and it's this competition to see who would b- make the best ceo of twitter and you just sort of do almost like a what was donald trump's show called The Uh, Apprentice, apprentice.
3: almost like a The Apprentice style. Right. Uh, Yeah, no, I actually kind of like that. And it would probably give us all a behind-the-scenes look of what that job really entails. Like Elon in his tweet said, Anybody taking this job would be foolish. Right. So what makes it a foolish job He's really to take? selling
2: it. Yeah. He's really selling it. But speaking well,
3: of... I think he wants to hang on to the job just a little bit longer. But I do think he probably wanted want out. He knew it could go either way, oh, so yeah. he was fine with it. Like
2: I said yesterday, he needs to get us to the moon, okay? I appreciate him taking over Twitter, but I need him to focus on colonizing the moon. Oh, colonizing the moon. Yes. I was like,
3: we've already been there, right? But well, yeah. are I'm you colonizing
2: the moon. No, I'm not... <laughs> Oh, no, it's not the moon. Mars. Mars. Mars, Sorry. I think, is where he's no, taking No, I'm, I'm not a moon landing denier. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Mars. He needs to get us to Mars yes. to colonize Mars. And the man has enough babies where he'd probably just colonize it with his own pets. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, But speaking of Elon, um, Donald Trump, he was on OWN. One American News, and he was talking about Elon Musk and asked about Elon Musk, and he is a a pretty big fan.
1: But I hope that Elon's going to be successful with Twitter. I think it's great that he's releasing this stuff because he's showing what a corrupt country we're living in.
2: Yeah, and he's talking about the Twitter files, which I agree. I'm glad Elon Musk is releasing the Twitter files. I think it goes a long way to rebuilding trust that had been broken with the platform about the decision to suppress the Hunter Biden laptop story, even though it was 100 percent factual at the time before the 2020 election. But what about
3: the reaction from media. I mean, there's been very few stories printed about any of the information he's published. is I, that is, concerning? Of course that's but concerning. I mean, I
2: mean, of course it's concerning. But what do we do about that, right? You just you you support news outlets that are intellectually honest. And I think that was the hard thing. And you have seen. So when the Hunter Biden laptop story came out in full transparency, you know, I was working for Fox 13. We didn't cover it. Mm-hmm. But I also as a local journalist wasn't in a position to 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 cover In a way that was like, what am I going to do? You know, it's a national story you're talking about. It was for the networks to cover. But at the time, our affiliate was technically CNN. And so we were getting our national news was really dictated by what our network affiliates sent to us. So there was I'd get people all the time. Why aren't you covering Hunter Biden's laptop story? Well, it's like because I can't. I'm a local journalist. I'm not in a position to do deep investigative reporting. On this laptop, right. we're relying on what we get from the national outlets, and well, because you're relying on their ability to fact-check
3: this stuff to right. look into it, and either they were choosing not to. I'm saying this is there. There are many outlets that either chose not to or did look into it. But the as Elon pointed out, there was information suppressed by agencies that mm-hmm. um, I think is actually the problem here. Right? I mean, yes, the Hunter story is unfortunate. It didn't make. Make it to where it should have when it when it came out, but it's for the future of stories like that being covered by these agencies. That's what you have to take that information and do with it,
2: and it's a real lack of and we saw this a lot during the pandemic. It's just a lack of criticality from the media that has really reached a boiling point. And you saw it with you know, anything that came out of the White House or fauci. Um, was, okay. this is accepted truth. This is what it is. We're not going to push back. We're not going to question. We're not going to challenge. And that's also what you saw with the Hunter Biden laptop story when the New York Post broke it and Twitter went to these extraordinary lengths, even prohibiting the link to that story from being shared in private Uh, private messages between users, which is something that's usually reserved only for child pornography, where they have a system, they can identify you're you're sending child pornography back and forth, and they can stop it. They use that same technology to stop the private sharing of the Hunter Biden laptop story in direct messages. Mm -hmm. And so then you had a lot of the mainstream media say, well, if Twitter is suppressing this story and saying, oh, you know, it could be foreign information, then we just accept that as is. And it wasn't until just a month ago that CBS actually verified the contents of Hunter Biden's laptop were off. Were in fact authentic. <laughs> as if it and was brand new As news. if it was brand new. It's like, no, the new, the, the new York Post did that story before the 2020 election. But you're right. When you see the Twitter files, which I, I've taken issue, I guess, with two different types of coverage of the Twitter files. Do I think that they are insane, new information, like earth shattering? No. I think that they reflect what a lot of us knew was going on and we just finally got to see it in black and white but it's also not a nothing story and you have a lot in the media treating it as oh this is just a nothing story or they're completely going crazy like this shows the extent to which the FBI cooperated with Twitter. What I think is is true as always you know the the um, I, I think the real reasonable coverage is always somewhere in the middle of CNN and Fox these these were important documents by any journalistic standard for the public. To be aware of. But also, I don't think that some employees within Twitter got enough credit for how much they pushed back about what was happening. One of the things that all of these releases of the Twitter files contained were internal emails that showed that some employees at Twitter were like, hey, we, we don't have a basis for this. We don't have a basis to suppress this story. Or we shouldn't be working this closely with the FBI. And so I think there are some hero employees at Twitter who aren't getting enough credit for the action they took to push back against... Some of the people in the highest ranks of Twitter. And so what I'd like to see, as I always want to see with the mainstream media, and one of the reasons I left, is there's a complete lack of nuance. It's like either all in or all out. There's no ability to cover anything with nuance, and I think that's what you really saw here. Uh, One more cut from Elon, uh, or from Trump on Elon. He says that Elon Musk, for what he's doing, is a hero.
1: Has a lot of different hats. That's not an easy thing to find in that world. You need technology. You need politics. You need sort of everything and you have to have business sense a good business sense so it's uh going to be interesting to see who that is but i think he probably wanted to step down it was it was great that he released and from what i hear the things that he's got are even more damning than what's already been seen in seven and five and six it's it's even more damning it's supposed to be incredible
3: Well, and it's a very
1: important part of his legacy. I'll tell you that it
3: certainly is. Would you would you characterize him as a hero in this regard?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I say he's a hero. Uh, That's weird questioning on own. (laughs) I think that it's a big it's a big part of his legacy. I think it's more important than other things he's done, Uh, and it's very important. He's showing our country is was off the rails and still is. We'll see whether or not this helps fix it. But the Republicans have to get a lot tougher
2: yeah i'm not sure i characterize elon musk as a hero but i do appreciate what he's doing despite all the pushback that he's getting he's really thrust himself into this political you know what storm <laughs> and he I doesn't need i might to. Agree. he's got so I much that- money
3: in I think there's lots of different kinds of heroes, sure. and he's not you know saving anybody's life. Maybe maybe he is.
2: I don't know. <laughs> but I think a couple people are gonna have to go when they go to Mars. But um. I think the Mars thing is more heroic. He's gonna like save mankind, and I just want to be on one of the plane or on one of the little uh, if it rockets
1: works.
2: if it works. Okay, <laughs> all right. And that has been the fastest fifteen.
1: This has been the fastest 15 minutes in the news. Fast, 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 fast Dory's fastest 15.
2: You give us 15 minutes, we'll give you the world. Coming up on The Big Show, it is a holiday week after all. We want to spread a little holiday cheer. We're going to be joined by the executive director of Mary's Place, Marty Hartman, who's going to talk about their campaign to make sure that no child sleeps outside. That's coming up on The Dory Monson Show. Brandi Cruz filling in.
0: O'er the fields we go Dudo.
2: Laughing all the way
0: the bells
1: on fire.
2: Of course, we've been talking a lot about the homeless crisis uh, in Seattle and beyond. I know Dory has talked about it for a long time. And yeah, there are some controversial elements of it, of what's contributing to the crisis. But I think this holiday season, one thing that we should all be able to agree on is that no child should be sleeping outside. That this is a city that has the resources and the capacity to make sure that that doesn't happen. Uh, and there is a really, really important organization in the city of Seattle called Mary's Place that helps women and children uh, who find themselves in in a less than ideal situation to get back on their feet. And through the end of the year, they uh, have a uh, fundraising effort called no child sleeps outside here to talk about it is Mary's place. Hi, Marty, introduce yourself.
4: Hi, Brandy. Thanks for having me. Yes. Um, I'm Marty Hartman. I'm the executive director of Mary's Place.
2: So talk about no child sleeps outside. What's the goal? I mean, I guess the goal is the name, (laughs) but how do you get there?
4: That's right. Mary's Place works really hard to make sure we do three things. One, we have 720 shelter beds every night spread across King County, working hard to make sure every family has a resource to come inside. But that's not possible because our beds are full. And so we do mobile outreach and we go right to where families are all spread across the county, meeting them in cars and tents and across the street from their schools or in parks, wherever they may be trying to stay safe with their children and then we're also working really hard about leading with prevention that we can work to keep families in their homes and reduce that trauma and generational impact that families face with homelessness
2: what are some of the reasons that you find that women and children are ending up without a roof over their head
4: oh i think right now we can all uh, relate to the impact of the pandemic that it that it has It is carried forward right um the high cost of rent that is it's gone up twenty one percent for most affordable low income affordable housing apartments. Add that with the cost of inflation and the cost of diapers and medical care and child care. And it's just um when you have an extenuating circumstance like a car repair or other unplanned events in your life, you don't you don't have the money or the resources and not everybody has a family that has a safety net that can provide those. So Mary's place wants to be that safety net.
2: And I think the interesting thing about the individuals you serve, you know, I, you and I have chatted about this. Uh, we talked about this um, fundraiser last week on the Undivided podcast. And one of the things that I asked you is, you know, are, are drugs a contributing factor? We see that a lot in the homelessness crisis, how, how drug mm-hmm. abuse contributes to it. But you said that's really not the people who are coming to you for
4: help. Yeah, I will say that, yes. Do we have that? Yes. With some families, it is not the majority of families. What you see outside on the streets is not necessarily who is showing up at our door, right? we are really working with families that, you know, are living on the edge from these unplanned crises. Nobody plans to have a sick child. Nobody plans to um, have a domestic violence situation that puts you in one of these situations where you are all of a sudden finding yourself homeless. Nobody planned to be evicted because they couldn't pay their rent during um, a pandemic, right? So those are the folks that we're working with.
2: And you guys also operate with very little public funds. Um, It is the generosity of the private sector, of private individuals. So for those folks who are out there listening and want to help with the No Child Sleeps Outside campaign, how can they help? What are some ways that they can assist?
4: Oh, there's so many ways you can help. One, by giving and donating so that we can keep our shelters open that we can keep our mobile outreach team going and that we can provide that rental assistance to families that need it to stay in their home today and you can do that by going to nochildsleepsoutside.org $35 brings a child in tonight and gives them all the resources and access to school and healthcare and everything that they need so give today how many children do you want to bring inside and you can actually go to no org and start your own fundraising page and share that with your network so others can give and upload a selfie and say why why making sure No Child Sweeps Outside is important to you. And then there's so many other things kids can do too, right? Hot cocoa stands have been popping up. People are doing donation drives, cleaning out their toys, making sure that they give those uh, to children that can use them through their Mary's Place donation and you can go to our website, see what we need. Right now, coats are critically important. If you're cleaning out, please send coats and twin size blankets so that we have enough to give to our families as they move into housing as well. So anything that you can share with us, uh, we want to make sure we can pass that along. So everybody can do something.
2: Marty, on a broader scale, you've been doing this work, bless your heart, for 23 years in our community. And obviously, we know the homelessness crisis has really reached just um, really unacceptable levels in and around the Seattle area. What do you think it's going to take to make significant progress on this issue?
4: Right. It's about um, systemic change, right, in in a lot of our systems. But that only comes when we Um, as we bring people together, right? This is a community crisis that needs to be solved by our entire community and actually our nation, right? But when it's bringing the public and private sector together, we have a chance to learn from each other, utilize best practices, utilize data to inform how we do this work going forward. And I think that's been uh, part of the success of Mary's Place is leaning on everyone to be part of the solution. So that's what I'm hopeful for.
2: All right, Marty Hartman, Executive Director of Mary's Place. Give us the uh, website one more time for people who want to help out with No Child Sleeps Outside.
4: Yeah, please go to nochildsleepsoutside.org. $35 brings a child in today. It's our community that will solve this crisis.
2: All right, Marty, thank you so much and happy holidays.
4: Thank you, Brandy. Happy holidays to you too.
2: Much more ahead on The Dory Monson Show. Brandy Cruz filling in.
1: A white Christmas. Yeah.
2: What is this from? Is this from the that movie? Just like the world. This is William
3: Shatner's I, I, I from I William Shatner's know. Christmas album.
2: Oh. Oh
1: yeah. With I didn't
2: spell. know such a thing existed. And, and That's
1: this what is, I'm here for. I'm I here like to bring out the deep cuts. This is with Judy Collins as well. To hear sleigh Bells. Oh.
2: I could I could play that role just deep at Oh, oh yeah. white christmas see i'm good at it okay sorry william that's too much getting more texts in the text line i asked you guys for advice in wedding planning and you've given me some um miss jan says brandy elope and have a reception when you get home 253 says don't ask people as guests to wear a certain color or certain clothing My girlfriend tried that. Big disaster. I tend to agree. Although I think, generally speaking, people want to know, is it a very fancy wedding? Is it like in, you know, a barn? So I think you have to give somebody, especially women, they want some sort of indicator for how they need to dress.
3: I agree with that. The, you know, formal, semi-formal or casual, whatever. You can say that. But uh, yeah, some people have tried the whole black. Everybody wear black and white. Everybody wear. No,
2: I wouldn't do something like that. Too restrictive. 425 Brandy. The feeling of being surrounded by all of your family and friends is wonderful, fulfilling and incomparable. That's Michelle from Kirkland. Let's fit one more in 360 says the best thing I did at my wedding was have my best friend take pictures with my phone. So she had pictures. I tell me if this is before I get to this next story. I kind of don't want to let people take pictures with their cell phones during the wedding. That's okay, right? Um, I
3: Yes, I've okay. heard that before, too, where you don't want everybody with their phones up in the air. And people and can't see, the and pictures. it's like, that's why sure. we have a photographer
2: there. You just enjoy the wedding.
3: Absolutely. Uh, but it is important to make a list for your photographer of all the pictures that you want, like with wh- whichever family members they have to actually check
2: off. Huge. Uh, I mean, my sister is a wedding photographer in Miami, and so she's the one who's going to be choosing the wedding photographer and and Mm -hmm. figuring all that out. So I think that's good. All right. Actor Tim Robbins, who is admittedly a leftist, he uh, did a really, really interesting interview on Russell Brand's podcast where he was really self-reflective about his own behavior during the pandemic. And one of the things he was saying is, you know, at the beginning, he bought in hook, line, sinker, whatever the government said to do. You jump, I jump. How high? I mean, wore the masks, uh, did the vaccine thing. And he said he was angry at people who didn't. And that's really how he felt. And now he's reflecting on that. Um, in this, because Russell Brand's been very critical of some of the government uh, lockdowns and mandates and things like that. And so Tim Robbins is saying, look, you know, looking back, I wish I had not have been that way. Um, He really started to question kind of the quote unquote science compared to what they were being told to do.
0: When we became aware of the idea that the vaccinated could spread it and catch it like the unvaccinated. So to continue the policy of lockdowns or, or mandates after that didn't seem to be following the science. It, it seemed to be following a political agenda. Mm. And so that's where I really started to have problems with it.
2: And and I tend to agree. And I got the first um, dose of the vaccine because I really felt like this is what we've been waiting for. You know, we've been told sort of the vaccine is going to be what gets us out of this pandemic. And I wanted to do that if, if it were going to. And I felt the same way. You know, as soon as we realized that it wasn't going to stop you from getting it or spreading it, and then people still treated it as if that realization had not dawned on us, that was really bothersome to me. And I think I I, I echo what Tim Robbins is saying is anyone who's an independent thinker who can bust outside this political bubble um, should have have realized that. And he said, uh, he talked to Russell Brand about what really made him question not just the policies, but the motives behind those policies.
0: The fact that there were these change of definitions uh, something that my you know my alarm bells went off then when you consider that the who the world health organization changed its protocol on um virus outbreaks which in the past had been you lock down the vulnerable you take care of them you make sure they're taken care of but you let society go on so that it can build its its herd immunity. Um, this was changed as well. We went into lockdown with healthy people, with children, and that didn't seem to be wise to me.
2: And I want to fit this last one in because it really, I think, speaks to what so many of us felt, and that is, he tells Russell Brand, again, this is actor Tim Robbins, tells Russell Brand that he really came to realize that the pandemic brought out the very worst in all of us, um,
0: I'm not a scientist. I'm not uh, a doctor. I don't know the intricacies of of uh, data on this. All I can respond to at, is as some uh, someone that has is concerned about what the result of those doctrines that policy had on us as human beings, and it's not good. We turned into um, tribal, angry, vengeful people. And I, I don't think that's something that is sustainable for the earth, that we start demonizing people that don't agree with our particular health policies and turn them into monsters, turn them into uh, pariahs, um, say that they don't deserve... Uh, hospital bed. Uh, I think about, you know, people that have made bad mistakes in their lives where they take too many drugs and they overdose and that's totally their choice. That's totally their responsibility. Yet we take care of them. Yet we bring them to the hospital. Yet we save their lives because we're compassionate. Because we, we want to make sure that people live and this turned it turned into you should die because you have not complied that's incredibly dangerous
2: i gotta say that is the most self-aware analysis self-analysis um of regrets of behavior during the pandemic that again is actor tim robbins on russell baron's podcast admitting that he wishes he had not had such an extreme reaction.
3: And he was also from the outside looking in because he was obviously American, but he was in London, I believe, or somewhere in the U.K., watching this happen to the U.S. and just horrified by it.
2: Yeah, and I really wish everybody could take a second and look back at how they handled the pandemic, but specifically how they treated other people who chose not to respond to the pandemic in the same way that they did so just a fascinating interview and a lot of introspection which is hard to find these days brandy Cruz filling in for our friend dory monson on the big show the big lead at two is coming up next after a check of news local news and national news we'll be right back